that he's changed his direction. The father runs out to meet him. Now, I've told you before, the father runs out to meet him. Remember what happens when they, when they get there? The father, the father wraps his robe around him to cover his stink and to cover his filth, right? He puts the ring on his finger, gives him full permission of family, including check-writing privileges with that ring. Then he reestablishes him completely in the family. And the Bible then immediately says they, were at, they had a party. And I've told you, I've told you before, I think the whole Christian life is in that missing verse. The whole of Christianity is in that missing verse. We, the, the, the father meets us way out on the road, and then the rest of our life is spent walking home with dad to the party. That's the, that's the whole experience of Christianity, the walk home with God, the walk home with dad. And there's a lot more to be said about that. There's, there's some really cool things that continue to open my mind to, to what God is doing in that. But I just want to say, when the son turns for home and is met by the father... In God's economy, he's already home. You got that? That's a hard thing to hold on to. It's as slippery as a fish. It's really hard to hold on to that idea. That when you turn for home and, and, you, and you have that interchange with God, you say, I want to go this way now. I want to head home. I want to walk with you the rest of the way. In the economy of God, in the exchange that just took place, from God's perspective, you're already home. That's why the next, the next verse can be a party. Because he doesn't have to say, and we walked all the way home. He doesn't have to explain the trip, because the next verse is the party. I was explaining this to the, the, the small the Bible study group that Brenda and I attend last Monday, and I was telling, talking about this, and somebody asked a very significant and appropriate question. They said, do you mean, therefore, in, that, that, that means once saved, always saved. As soon as you turn and head for home, you're in, you're saved, and that can never change. No, 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 no. You can leave, you can leave anytime you want. God doesn't force you to go home. He simply walks you home. You can exit the relationship at any turn, any branch in the path you can turn off on. Any, any direction you want to go, you can go. God's not suspending your free will at that moment. He's engaging your free will in a decision that will take you to a better end. He's engaging your free will in a decision that will take you to a better end. This road is going nowhere. That one is going home. When you engage that decision to go home, he engages your free will in the decision after decision after decision after decision as you make your way all the way. So here's a, here's a, here's a, a picture I wanted you to see. Somewhere I have that thing. It's in my pocket. Where did I do it? Yeah, there it is. Here's something I want you to know. Did you know that 7-Eleven has made the first delivery with a drone? It's true. It's true. They delivered a cheeseburger and a Slurpee. So it will go down in history that the first thing ever delivered to somebody's home with one of those fancy, cool drones flying in and lowering it, literally it drops down. You can see there's a little rope on the box. You can see it maybe a little better in this picture. See the rope on the box? It flies over the house and lowers it on that rope in front of the house. And the first thing delivered by this wonderful new technology that, 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 would, that might put UPS out of business was a Slurpee and a 7-Eleven cheeseburger. There's a Trivial Pursuits question someday. 
what I what I want to what I want to say about this, and 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 I, I want you to get the, the, this picture. This is kind of the newest technology of thinking about delivery. But we have this moment of faith we engage in on the internet over and over again, right? Um, we we get on the internet, we find what we want to buy. We fill in the processes. Oh, here's my address. Here's my name. Oh, here's my credit card information. Turn over the credit card. Type in the little number on the back. They can steal from you at any point at that, after that. You hit send. They have everything they need. We engage in this moment of faith when we say, I want that and I'm willing to take this risk. I'm willing to give you my information for it. And what is then promised to you? That you get that next little page, right? I don't know if you're like me, but I print that page out. Or I save it on my desktop. I make sure. My, if you saw the desktop of my computer, it's so littered with stuff. Because I, anything that's really important, I can't, I can't bring myself to put it in a file. I have to save it on the desktop. And so I save that stuff on the desktop because I want to be able to find it. Because there's now a guarantee of delivery. Right? I've made a bargain with them. I've entered into a, into a relationship with them. I've made a, a, a connection with them, and there's a, now a guarantee of delivery of the item I wanted, right? So now I sit around and wait for the drone to come flat over my house, right? I sit now and I wait for that guarantee to, to come to fruition, for that guarantee to be fulfilled, to be filled for my needs. Got it? So here's the deal. When we enter into the relationship and we're far off from God, when we step into that relationship, a promise of delivery is given by God. His rating on Amazon is off the charts. He delivers what he says he'll deliver. The promise of delivery is you and me home. So I want to go into a, 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 bit, a bit of a biblical story I think we'll all relate to. I think we'll all relate to this guy because he's so human. He's so much like us. It's Genesis chapter 25. There are going to be a few texts on the scripture. We're on the, on the board, we're going to go from chapter 25 all the way to chapter 33. So if you open your Bible there, if you have it with you, there's an opportunity there to kind of follow along, pick up some things that I'm not going to be talking about. But we're going to be picking up some high points on the screen. So we're talking about Jacob, the son of Isaac, Jacob, the son of Isaac. The children struggled together in her womb. Now, remember, Isaac remarries, remarries a woman. Did anybody remember her name? Rebecca, I heard it from the back. So, so he marries a woman named Rebecca. He marries Rebecca. They can't have children. They're, they get married when he's 40 years old. We're not really told how old she is at that point. He's 40 years old. And they carry on this relationship. The relationship goes on for 20 years. He's now 60. And finally, a son is born. And they name, and there are actually two sons born. She has twins. And this is the, the description of what's going on. The children struggled within her. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, now, now imagine... You've been trying to have a baby for 20 years, and finally you get pregnant. You have twins, and they're causing all kinds of trouble inside, right? This is her first baby ever, right? She's far away from her mom. Her husband has no clue. And he's telling her, oh, it's fine, honey. Oh, you'll be fine. Oh, you'll be fine. Can't you hear that in if all is well, right? Because the husband's going, you're all right. You're fine. You'll be okay. You're fine. 
How do you know? It's never happened to you. Well, I've watched the sheep do this all the time. It's not a problem. No, no sweat. It'll be easy. You know, no, no problem. They're up and running the next day. I mean, the baby gets right up and starts nursing. You'll be good. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So if all is well, if everything's fine, Isaac, if, if everything's fine, Isaac, then why do I feel like this? Why is all this craziness going inside of me? Look at my belly. It's like the, there's a circus going on in there. So she went and inquired of the Lord because Isaac wasn't much help. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. There's a whole story of Israel right there. What's going on inside of you is the beginning of a battle that's going to go on forever till I come back. Two people are in your womb and they're they're, going to struggle. And the older will serve the younger. She puts that away in her thinking and in her mind. And so the boys are born and the boys grew. Esau was a skillful. Oh, I need to tell you about the birth. Sorry. The birth happened like births happen. Lots of trouble for the woman and lots of worrying and wondering and hand-wringing for the man. Right? Isaac standing outside the tent, pacing back and forth, wondering what he's going to do. He's waiting to hear the sound of the baby. There's midwives in there. There's experienced people in there. And he doesn't know what to do. He just keeps walking back and forth. And she's gotten so big. And now this is the end. And now she's starting to to cry out. And now she's saying bad things about him. He can hear it right through the side of the tent. And and he doesn't know what to do. So finally he hears the first cry. Esau, covered with hair. We think maybe red hair because his nickname is Edom. There's some discussion about whether that's because of the red porridge issue or whether because he's actually red haired. But there is a condition. There's a physical condition that we, we've, we've since called it the werewolf condition where a human being has fur like skin. Now, I, 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 I was blessed with a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of hair not on my head. Most people who are bald are like that. But I don't, got fur. I don't have fur. Fur is a whole different thing. Fur is, is like your dog fur. You know, this is, this is hair you don't see through. This is not like, you know, sprinkled over your body. Oh, that's a hairy guy. No, this is a guy who looks like he's wearing a fur coat all the time. Okay? That's what this condition is. You really have the hair on your body similar to that of an animal. And often that hair is red in this condition. So this is why, you know, you start putting two and two together and you think, you know, he's the first, he's, he's the first ginger born in Israel. And they call him Red. And it would stick to everybody after that. Red Esau. Esau means he's hairy. Edom means he's red. So put it together. He's a hairy, he's got red hair. He's a red hairy guy. Okay. Which, by the way, is also the German etymology of Groff. Yeah, figure that out. So his, his brother comes out right behind him. His brother's in a hurry to get out. He doesn't want, to get it, he want, him, want him to get hit. It's two little brothers. They're competing from the beginning. Esau gets out first. He makes it out first. Gets into the passageway first. But his little brother's holding onto his heel as he comes out. So one little baby comes out and the hand of the other baby comes out with him holding on to his heel. And as he is born, his name is Jacob. And the name means heel grabber, holder of one who holds the heel. Okay? What's interesting 
is this becomes sort of synonymous with, with a person who's, a, who's kind of a cheat and a liar. And Jacob earns this name as time goes by. But what's very interesting in the Hebrew is there's one letter difference between heel grabber, person who holds the heel, and, and usurper, someone who takes another's position. One letter difference. And his brother obviously calls him usurper. He uses the name in the text as well. So here we go back to the story in 25, 27, and 28. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Now, stop for a sec. What do these people do for a living? Anybody remember? They're shepherds. Do they need someone to go hunt for meat? No, meat's all around them, right? The only reason you would go hunt is for a change in diet. That's all. You're going to go, you're getting tired of sheep. Sorry, you know, too much lamb, too much lamb, too much mutton, lamb, mutton, lamb, mutton, lamb. You know, mutton burgers, mutton steaks, mutton ribs. Mutton, you get tired of mutton after a while, and so he wants something else. So the, his brother becomes a hunter. So they don't really need a hunter in the family. It's kind of a, a benefit, okay? So Esau becomes a hunter, and Isaac loved Esau. So who loves Esau? Isaac does. Because he ate, ate his game, so he liked what he brought home. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Can you see a problem? Favoritism. Favorites. Yeah, he come, they come from a dysfunctional family, Dave said. Yeah, don't we all? Right? If Adam and Eve, the only non-dysfunctional parents. And how did things come out for them? Okay. So these guys, this is, a, this is a problem. One parent loves the older child. One parent loves the younger child. And in that dysfunction, that gets passed on to the kids. The kids know who loves them best, right? The kids already know. Jacob and Esau grow up with that hanging over their head. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. Now, this is sometime later. They're grown boys. And they've been in conflict all their lives. Jacob cooks a stew one day. Now, picture the boys. One of them is a hairy guy, carries a bow and arrow and a knife with him all the time, right? He's like, want to see my knife? <laughs> Look, I can shave the hair off my face with it. See that? Off my back, off my arms, everywhere I can shave anything. Want to see my arrow? Look, I can shoot stuff. That's, the, that's Esau's going about life that way. His brother Jacob's like, hey, mom, can you show me how to make that stew? It was really good. Where'd you find the herbs? Okay. So you got very different sons. So Jacob's home cooking. Now mom is not cooking for Jacob. Jacob's cooking for himself. Do you realize how unusual this is in the Bible? It's not uncommon today. But it's pretty unusual in the Bible. You don't find this scene in the Bible. A man standing over a pot cooking. Jacob's cooking a stew. Esau comes in from the field. He's weary. Esau says to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Sounds like a line from Shakespeare. For I am weary. <laughs> Therefore, his name was called Edom. Because of the red stew. Okay. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. Jacob might look a little soft. But Jacob's kind of a conniving guy. He sees his advantage. He knows he can't beat his brother at 
war games. He's not going to outshoot him. He's not going to outwrestle him. He's not going to certainly outnight fight him. So he catches his brother at a disadvantage and slides into his advantage. Hey, hungry, are you? Okay, you're so, so hungry, you're going to faint right here in front of me. Oh, poor guy. I'll tell you what, you can't have any unless you trade me your birthright. Do you know what, you know what Esau says next? What good is my birthright if I die from hunger? What a baby! He's home. Mom and dad aren't that far. Remember, Jacob stays home. He's not out in the field. He's saying, oh, what good is my... What a, he's a big baby drama queen here. I'm so weary, I have to eat. Oh, what good is my birthright if I die? So Shakespearean. He gives him the bowl of soup. He trades off his birthright. Esau doesn't value his birthright enough to hang on to it over a bowl of soup. Esau's problem doesn't value who he is. Doesn't value what he has. Jacob's problem, he's a weasel. He's kind of a weasel. Now we're skipping up to chapter 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older, older son, and said to him, Make me, what do the three dots mean? I skipped something. I skipped several lines here, but they're not, to my thinking, germane to the story. Make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. What is the intention of the father? To lay a blessing on his oldest son. Is this normal behavior? As far as we know from Scripture, this is exactly normal. It's exactly what should happen in this case. The older son should be blessed by the father. And, and apparently, at least, it, he, doesn't, he doesn't actually die. He's going he's to live many, many years beyond this point. But apparently, Isaac thinks he's about to die. And so whatever it is that makes him think that, he calls his son in and says, Let me bless you before I die. Okay. Normal activity to be expected. However... Now, Rebecca, who's this? Mom. Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game to bring it. So can you usually just roll out in the field and shoot the deer, bring it home in about 10 minutes? No, you're not going to Rayleigh's. This is you're going to have to go find it, kill it, gut it, clean it, bring it home and then feed it to your dad. Right. It's going to take a little while. So if you're going to send your son out to hunt, you're at least going early in the morning. You wake him up early and say, go get me something to eat for later tonight because it's going to take you a while. So that's what he does. He heads out to go take care of that problem. He's going to go find the meat. So who does Rebecca go to? Jacob. What is Rebecca remembering? The older shall serve the younger. Who's she helping out here? Oh, God needs all the help he can get, right? We always need to step in whenever possible to help God out with his, with his problems. And there's clearly a problem here. Isaac doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. Is Isaac doing what he should normally be doing? Yes, Isaac's following the normal cultural patterns. Who's stepping out of the role? Rebecca is. Rebecca doesn't trust God to be able to do what he said he will do. Ever been there? I sure have. 
always trying to help God out with stuff. I give him a list in my prayers of things to do. Your prayer ever look like a to-do list for God? God, this morning, as we get started, here's some things I need you to take care of. Itemized. I've alphabetized them. Would you like them in a priority schedule? I can do that too. Right? She's going to go help God out. So she calls Jacob in. She, she says to Jacob, your father's going to bless your brother. We can't let that happen. So you need to go take care of this. And her, and I, and I, or Jacob has the right in attitude with this. If you're reading along in your Bible, he says, no, 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 we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't deceive my, my father like this. He says, no, she says, no, no, no. Let the curse be on me. Wow. She's really determined. Let the curse be on me. And so she tells her son. I will prepare. Go get a goat. I'll prepare it for your dad. He won't know the difference. He'll love it. But he, he knows he's going to know it's not his. He's not going to know it's not Esau. I'm not hairy. I don't have hair all over my body like that. He's going to know it's not him. Well, no, no, no. Don't worry about that. Bring me some of the goat hide. I'll take care of that too. So what does she do? She puts his brother's clothes on him so he smells right. When you're when you're blind, your other senses become more acute, right? His, so he smells like Esau. He's wearing Esau's clothes. She puts goat hair on his neck and on the exposed parts of his arms. So you know, if you're thinking Esau's hairy like my arm is hairy, you're not thinking enough hair. You, you need to look at somebody sitting near you and say, no, hairy like that guy's head right there. Not this one, that one. Right? This, this, is, this is hairy like, like, like animal fur because that's what she puts on her son. He goes and delivers the meal. His father says, are you really Isaac? Are you really Esau? And now he's in. He's fully in on the lie now. Jacob says, I am. So he calls him over, still not trusting him. And he draws him into him and he puts his hand on the back of his neck expecting to find the skin that should be on the back of Jacob's neck. Instead, he finds the fur from the goat that he's about to eat. The smell, the hair on the neck. Isaac says, you seem to be Esau, but you have the voice of Jacob. He goes ahead, eats the food, blesses the wrong child. Esau, having been out in the field for a while, comes in, discovers the problem. Now, what would you do if this had happened to you? Would you just go, oh, shucks, he got me again. <laughs> Is that what you'd say? Now, it happened as soon as Isaac had finished Blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out of. Does this sound like a movie plot to you or something you'd watch on daytime television? You know, this is this is this is like who shot Jr. Right. If you're old enough to remember Dallas, this is this has got all that sort of layer upon layer upon layer of plot. Now, it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. So Jacob's got his blessing. He heads out of the tent and into the other door of the tent comes his brother. Again, very Shakespearean, right? One out, one in. Right? Had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he said, oh, shucks, that Jacob, he got me again. Well, not exactly. 
So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the day of mourning for my father, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. You know, Jacob's really glad his father did not get sick as he thought he was and die. Because his brother was out for blood. So, who steps in? Who's always stepping in on behalf of Jacob? Mom. Right? She hears the death threat. So what does mom do? Now, can I stop for a sec? Can I say, ladies, this is not your example. Right? This lady's kind of out of control as I see it. She's running amok in her household. She's, she thinks she's on God's plan. She seems, thinks she's doing the will of God. But she's really kind of doing what she wants. She's trying to manipulate the situation to keep things rolling the way she wants them to. And her desire is to see this youngest son succeed whatever the cost. He's going to be the, the guy. He's going to be the boss. He's going to be the guy who, who rules over everything. So she steps in. Tells her husband, no, no, we, I, I can't stand Esau's Canaanite wives. Can you please send Jacob off to my brother's house so that he can get a wife from, from one of our own people? Think cousins, West Virginia. Mountain mama. When Isaac called, Jacob blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaan. Arise and go to Padam Aram, which means the plain of Aram. To the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay? Cousin. Okay? So, he is sent away to find a wife. That's the pretense. He goes off and finds his match. And I'm not talking about his wife. Runs into Laban, who's a bigger weasel than he is. Would you switch daughters at a wedding? Think about it. You bought an exact wedding dress. You made sure they were going to wear a hat and a veil. They're about the same size. Everything else is cool. Just don't say a word. You know, growl out, I do, when the time comes. And... You take your youngest daughter and you say, you wait here. And you take your oldest daughter and you put her out in front. And all the bridesmaids have gone in. The groomsmen are standing up front. The groom and the preacher are standing there smiling, waiting. And the doors open. And there's this beautiful woman. She's the right size. She's wearing the right dress. She's fully veiled. You can't tell. She walks down the aisle. Do, 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 do. She gets to the front, says nothing. She's wearing the right perfume and the white out, right outfit. Would you do that? Would you do that to your daughter? He had no problem doing this to his daughter. Would you do that to your new son-in-law? See, he had no problem doing that to his new son-in-law. He's a bigger weasel than Jacob. And Jacob's name means weasel. Every time they called Jacob's name at school, he heard it coming at him again. Weasel. Weasel. Do you remember that George Bush used to pronounce, um, oh, I just lost his name, uh, Saddam Hussein's name improperly? Do you remember that? Everybody thought, stupid cowboy. No, 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 no. Saddam Hussein was a name. 
Saddam Hussein was a description, and it wasn't a favorable one. So he was calling this guy a bad name every time he said his name. That's Jacob. Every time his name is called out, every time his name is called out, the echoes of his brother's voice, name's not Jacob, your name is Jacob. You're not, you're not the heel grabber. In fact, you're, you're the supplanter. And so every time his name is called out, every time he hears his name, weasel, 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 weasel. The teacher gets up and pronounces his name in first grade. With little weasel, raises his hand. Oh, there's a little weasel in the back. Okay. Everybody, everybody turn around and say hi to the little weasel. Right? And she, she writes his name tag, little weasel. Second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. You graduate from high school. They're marching across the, out, the, across the platform. The person's reading their stuff. And the next up is the weasel. Yay, weasel. He goes off to a foreign country where they still call him by his name. But he meets a bigger weasel. While there, he becomes actually fairly wealthy. He, uh, he's able to establish himself. I don't want to skip all, to skip all of that. And I want to catch him when he's coming back home. He had made a deal with God. You, you, we, we have this moment when he sees the ladder. We, we go, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Have you ever stopped to, to read the text and see what Jacob did? Jacob doesn't suggest that he's going to be in this great relationship with God. He makes a deal with God. You bring me home, I'll let you be my God. There's some serious temerity there. He thinks he's got a hand up on God. Oh, great. Cool vision. Nice. You clearly want me. And if you're going to get me, we're going to have a little bargain here. I'm going away, but when I come back, if I come back, if you bring me back, then you can be my God. That'll do. Sounds strangely familiar. He gets himself back. He's escaped his father-in-law. And he's coming back. He's gathered. He's there by the brook Jabbok. Small river. It's really one of those uh, sort of California rivers that flows only when it's rainy. He's there by the brook Jabbok. He's separated all, all of his stuff. He's heard that his brother's coming. He's got 400 soldiers with him. What do you think your brother's going to do when he brings 400 soldiers? It's going to be a little rough for you. So he separates all of his animals into two groups, hoping that one of them will escape his brother's hand. He takes his family and he splits them up. And he puts them across the river, by the way, closer to his brother. And he sleeps on the other side of the river. So if, if his brother starts attacking everyone and everything he owns, he will at least get away. Are you loving this guy? I don't like him much at all. So, an angel comes and they begin to wrestle. And they wrestle all night long. As Jacob was left alone a man wrestled with him until the breaking of dawn, of day. When he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. Now, I want to stop for a sec. If an angel is wrestling with you, are you winning? 
When the angel is not prevailing, he touches his hip and his hip goes out of joint. Does this look like a fair fight? Uh Uh-uh. This is not about Jacob winning. It's about Jacob persisting. So much of our spiritual life needs to be the difference in those two statements. This is not about me winning. It's not about me manipulating. It's not about me controlling. It's not about me getting my will. It's about me persisting with God and staying in the relationship and struggling through what's in front of me, no matter how I feel about it. It's it's that daily realization that I may not fully understand this thing, but I'm staying in it. I'm staying in this thing. He touches his hip and Jacob's hip goes goes out of joint. Yet he will not let him go. This is the first time I'm really liking this guy in the whole story. His hip goes out of joint. And he wrestled with him and he said, let me go for the day breaks. Now stop for a sec. Later we find out that he's wrestling with God. What happens if Jacob sees the face of God? He dies. So why is this, why is the, why is this angel slash God, why is God ending this argument? Because if the day breaks, Jacob's toast. Get it? He'll name the place Penuel when he leaves, as it is, I saw the face of God and lived. Well, no, you were shielded from the face of God by darkness, and that's why you lived. So he says, let me go for the day breaks. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. I like the persistence here. I'm finally starting to find something in this guy that I kind of like. I like that he's staying in this, that he's hanging on, hips out of joint, and he's hanging on. I'm not letting you go, man. He's got like his his, his shoestrings or something. Not letting you go. You got to let me go. Sun's coming up. Not doing it. Not till you bless me. He's finally dawned on him. The source of his blessing is going to be God. So he said to him, what is your name? Now you got to understand the significance of that question. What does this man never want to hear? When the, name, when the question is asked, what is your name? What does he remember? He remembers Mrs. Miller in kindergarten. Hey, is the weasel here? Where's the weasel? Oh, there he is in the background. Yeah, he remembers that big thing she stuck on his chest that said weasel. And he remembered his brother's voice. Yakov, 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 Yakov. Shut up, Esau. Yakov, Yakov, Yakov. Esau, you're bugging me. Yakov. Make him shut up, Bob. Yakov, 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 Yakov. What is your name? I really don't want to say. You want a blessing? What's your name? My name's Heel Grabber. Yeah, I know. I know. It means swindler. It means usurper. It means cheat and liar. And yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead and laugh. I know. Johnny Cash sang a song called A Boy Named Sue. This is like being called Sue. What is your name? Jacob. Yes, my name is the swindler. Yes. Yes, I'm that guy. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. 
For you have struggled with God and with men and prevailed. Best day of Jacob's life. New name. New name. He gets home. His mother's passed away while he's gone. He comes into his father's tent and he says, is that you, Yaakov? Nope. Angel gave me a new name. My new name is Israel. Cool. I never liked your old name anyway. You know what means weasel, right? Yeah, 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 Dad, I know. Your name is Israel. The shame is gone. The shame of who you were and what you were is gone. Now, understand the story doesn't end. Understand that that he doesn't he doesn't suddenly change. The next thing he does. Now, you got to give him a little credit because he finally moves out front of the group. Okay, he's going to take Esau head to head. But now he arranges his family, and he arranges his family the way his parents would have arranged the family. He puts his favorite son at the back with his favorite wife and his next favorite wife and her kids and his next favorite wife and her kids and his next favorite wife and her kids. Just in case his brother goes on a killing spree, he goes first, which this is the first time he's shown any courage. And then his least favorite wife and kids and his next least favorite wife and kids and his next. This is not a this is not a full transformation, right? He's there's still a little weasel left in this guy. But as far as God is concerned, he is no longer Jacob. He has turned and headed for home, and he's been given a name that describes a different outcome. You are no longer the liar, the weasel, the the cheat. You are now one who wrestles with God and man and prevails. One last thing. Dostoevsky tells his story in a couple of biographical things. He also tells it in a, in a moment in a, in a book called The Idiot. He joined a political party seeking revolution when he was 27 years old. He doesn't have a very long career as a revolutionary. He gets arrested very very near the beginning of this new career of his. He gets thrown into this prison that he describes as just a kind of a hole. It's just this dank, dark, cold hole. And they're there from April till October. And in October, they come in and they start gathering all these revolutionaries that got stuck down in this hole. And they take them out into this big public square. And they tell them, the judgment has been passed, and you're all going to die. And they begin to select the first of the group, and they line them up, and they blindfold them, and they line up the soldiers with their weapons. And somewhere he says, someone starts playing a drum roll, and he can hear the drums beating. And he knows what's coming. This first group's going to die, the next group's going to die, and I'm going to be in one of those groups. And he, he's staring death immediately in the face. And the drum's beginning to go. 
And as the drum roll's going, it's going, it's going. And he, he, can, he knows this shot. It's ready, aim, fire. That's what's coming after the drum stops beating. In the middle, this is a true story, in the middle of the drum roll, in rides a messenger. And the messenger says, I am from the king. Don't kill these men. Send them back to prison. And they send him off to prison in Siberia. You've heard that Dostoevsky was in prison in Siberia. He was redeemed to go to prison in Siberia. And he describes to his brother that moment. He said, I was certain of my coming death. I was certain that at the end of this drum roll, they were going to begin firing and eventually I was going to be dead. And because of intervention from the king, I was rescued. And he tells his brother, everything changed. I determined to be a better man. The sky was bluer. The bird songs were prettier. The smells were more aromatic. Everything was better because I had faced death and now I was going to live. I had faced who I was and what the outcomes of that decision were and now had been given a new life. He would spend many years in that prison during which time he would be converted to become a follower of Jesus and truly understand what it meant to have a king intervene to rescue you. All of us, all of us are either out here waiting to decide if we're going to turn and head for home or we're on the road back home. If you're out here trying to decide, I'm telling you, there's no there in the direction you're going. There's no, there's no positive in in the direction you're going. If you're wondering whether you should go, stop, turn around, go the other way. There's going to be a lot of different things in that direction, and God will talk to you about all those things, but he's not going to overwhelm you. But when you turn around and you head for home, as soon as you repent and honestly turn and head for home, an exchange is made. There's a transformative agreement that is made, and God gives you a new name and a new outcome to your life, and a party is thrown in heaven because it's as if you're already home. You're no longer the weasel. You're now he who wrestles with God and prevails. You're no longer coping with the loss of your, your life. You're no longer coping with all the things you've done and been and all the things that have described you and all the people who you're going to have to face on your trip home. He does have to still face Esau. He still has to go home. He still has to face his father. He still has to face the results of his decisions. But from God's perspective, he's already the man God expects him to be. We are not one because we wait. We are not successful in our spiritual walk because we wait. We are one and we are successful because of the one who waits for us. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you that in your economy, we are already home when we choose to head for home. Help us to have the good sense not to turn off the path. 
Lord, we give to you our past and the names that we well deserve. And again here this morning, we accept the new name that you promised. We accept the covering of your blood. We accept the transformation that you see in us. And we choose to walk home with you. In Jesus' name.